From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. I'm tempted to and want to do is to really flip the way additive manufacturing is thought about right from the very first time you, you learn it. So at the moment we go through the process of, uh, we have a CAD model and then you break that down through the steps, STL file, so forth, to printing parameters, set up your printer and print it. Uh, and I just think it would be beautiful to swap it so people first think, here's a nozzle, extruding material, and this is what happens if you move it at different speeds and different positions and you get this blob and then you get a line and then you can get some strings and do all these different sort of uh, geometries that are possible. That was Andy Gleedall. Andy's a senior lecturer in additive manufacturing at Loughborough University. Since joining Loughborough University in 2017, his research has focused on material extrusion additive manufacturing in several areas, all enabled by microscale control of the print path. He de- developed and wrote open source software called Full Control G-Code Designer to control precise design for added manufacturing. You can find it at www.fullcontrolgcode.com. Full Control was originally created for in-house research activities, but is now freely available to progress research into material extrusion added manufacturing. It's been used for a wide range of applications, including process calibration, material characterization, tissue engineering, 3D printing electronics, pharmaceuticals, microfluidics, prosthetics, artistic creation, and to control auxiliary equipment for in-process monitoring. He strived to use rigorous engineering research to drive additive manufacturing and medical manufacturing beyond the current state of the art. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to talk to someone from my one of my alma maters, Loughborough University up in Midlands. Um, so nice. welcome. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you too. Awesome. And let's just kind of get started from the beginning. I mean, you're uh, kind of at the university teaching now, but like, what was the journey? Like, how did you get to, to that point and, and focusing on, on some of the added manufacturing stuff that you're working on now? Yeah, okay. So I started my PhD uh, and that was on polylactic acid, but nothing to do with 3D so for medical applications and simulating its degradation uh, and properties as over time basically mechanical properties and then after my phd i then started 3d printing with this material uh, focusing on tissue engineering scaffolds predominantly um, so for those scaffolds they they were using all the properties of, of biodegradable stuff that we've seen before but also polylactic acid being a very nice material for printing was was handy but the, they were always needed uh, intricate geometries where they were often very simple, but really precise in terms of a single extrusion and then a space and then another extrusion from a, uh, a bioprinter where it's extruding the, the polymer as a, as a cylinder was literally surrounded entirely uh, by air. And then that's where in that air, that's the pores, that's where the cells would grow. So the actual space between filaments was your, your physical design. So it was not really a CAD model as much as the, the toolpath was the thing we were designing. So right from my first use of, of printers, I was pretty much writing my own scripts to generate the G-code to control the printer and tell it where to move in X, Y, Z. Um, and also for 
uh, multiple materials. So doing quite intricate things. So printing the polymer for a few layers and then printing the gel a little bit lower so that it doesn't overflow on top of the polymer and, and stop the next layers bonding to it and things. So that, that was when I was uh, doing a research position after my PhD. And then about four years ago, I became a lecturer at Loughborough. So I could just research anything I wanted to basically. And I kind of went back to my, my basics of mechanical engineering, which was my undergraduate degree and my uh, PhD, uh, and took the same, the same material, same process that I'd been using, but then started to characterize its mechanical properties. But still thinking from the scale of these individual filaments. So we, we developed test specimens for, for testing the mechanical strengths of a bond between just two filaments stacked on top of one another uh, and then walls of filaments stacked, but always just a single interface rather than a, a complicated tool path with lots of different settings and different orientations and things. Uh, and that gave really good mechanical properties. And I've kind of just gone, gone from there into more and more complicated structures, but designing the actual uh, tool path. And my students were doing that as well. Um, and at a certain point I realized my students were struggling with uh, putting a lot of time into programming to generate the, uh, the machine control code, the G code, when actually they just wanted to do the print and they knew what they wanted. They wanted to tell the printer how to do that in a, in a convenient way. So then I, I wrote software that was kind of an interpreter for their human description of the, the tool so they say I, I want a line from here to here and I want a circle from here to here and then I want to repeat all that for five layers uh, and for each layer I want to uh, increase the the width a little bit to slightly change the pore size so the the software then that I wrote allowed them to write the features just how I've kind of described them there and then it would interpret them figure out all of the xyz commands how much polymer to extrude and, and put that in the g-code format for the uh, printer to actually use uh, and that's kind of where I've been now hammering down for the last year or so of saying it's custom g-code and explicit print paths are the way forwards for, for everything is what I'm claiming. So taking a step back I mean I almost I know next to nothing about kind of tissue engineering and, and some mm -hmm. of the mechanics in there I mean high level kind of what what does tissue engineering mean and kind of why are you using Kind of this, why is this technology a good fit or the potential of this technology a good fit for applications within the field? Yeah, so for tissue engineering, we're, we're generally trying to grow a tissue um, outside the body often, but it can also be in the body, but growing a tissue to replace some tissue that has maybe been lost, say for replacing bone that's been uh, taken away during operations. So we would typically have a scaffold that forms the, the overall shape of the structure. And then you can put cells in that scaffold that will grow and multiply and, and basically eat the scaffold away until there's nothing left except the bone cells in their original shape. And we can do this with um, various tissues like cartilage, um, bone, muscle, and, and sometimes you don't need the scaffold, sometimes you do. Uh, and the really good thing about this, most of my stuff is about extrusion additive manufacturing, which is basically getting material to extrude from a nozzle and deposit, depositing it where you want. Uh, and that's really uh, an easy process compared to a lot of additive manufacturing processes in terms of material versatility. And it's quite gentle on the materials. There's no lasers that would be curing the material, which can damage cells. So it's quite nice for tissue engineering because we can extrude these gels, which contain cells, like living cells, um, but they're, they're being treated quite gently. So then you get uh, a nice 
set of living cells without any any damage from the manufacturing process. Got it. And uh, kind of talking more about kind of the the journey with with full control, like what um, kind of as you identified this problem of like, hey, like. I've gone down this path of writing my own scripts, but like mm-hmm. my students or colleagues or anything who want to do the same thing, like it's just a big barrier and we're not getting as far. Was, was the idea like the industry is just not, or the academic research is just not getting as far because of this big kind of yeah. barrier to, to, to doing that? So it was really just from my research initially, I, I never thought I would release uh, full controls. And I don't know if I actually introduced and said what it is but it's full control gk designer which is basically the software i was previously talking about where you are designing the whole manufacturing procedure the the g-code um in this kind of parametric feature-based manner kind of like a feature tree in cad but instead of creating 3d geometries you're you're creating a a sequence of instructions for printer which are or often they're based on geometry but not always so yeah initially i just thought this would be a really good way for my uh, students to be able to do better research, be more efficient research, um, and it, that's when it when it started. Then I began personally to find it beneficial over writing scripts myself, which I hadn't really expected. Um, and then I added more and more capabilities as we as then set projects that could take uh, do more complicated things, uh, and kept on pushing and really iteratively adding capabilities to to this software. So initially it was just a line and then repeats of this line and then the ability to change, you know, the amount of extrusion or how fast the line was moving. And then it kept on uh, increasing with each uh, sort of project and each new requirement. So it was always driven by a specific uh, project's requirements. I'd had the capability to do mathematical curves and uh, things change the whole geometry after you've generated the G-code and, and various other things that just, just kind of added to the capabilities. Um, so then I always focused on capability rather than user-friendliness because it was always going to be a case of the more time I put into user-friendliness, the less time I could put into capabilities. Uh, and then I, there was a sort of constant uh, iteration on both sides, but definitely a, a focus on the sort of pragmatic uh, interface uh, and it's built within excel so visual basic is the is the actual program using excel as a as an interface which which i really love and i've written molecular dynamic simulations in excel and things because it's such a powerful uh, user interface for putting data in and, and things um, but now we're looking at then taking it to a more accessible format where it can be integrated with other software and have a more user-friendly uh, operating such you know be web-based and things like that and what was it like? I mean, you're kind of in the academic sphere and kind of innovating this kind of software. Was it a, like a spin out? Was it part? Of, I mean, obviously it's part of your research. Like what was the dynamics there? Mm-hmm. Kind of so building a pseudo company almost. Yeah, it was, I've released it fully open source to sort of steer away from that side of thing because my strengths are really in the, the technical research and the, expertise of this process that we've, we've characterized the mechanical properties and all, all this stuff was, you know, I also enjoy design and, and creativity, but they're not my specific research and certainly not software development. So I, I at one point was thinking, yeah, should I commercialize this? 
but I'd spoken to lots of people about it and, and found it was very hard to convey the benefits until I just show them the capability, show them a specimen that couldn't be printed or would be extremely difficult with the normal workflow of, of CAD, STL slicer and things. Um, and I kind of realized I, I didn't want to go down the route of just putting all my effort into fighting to convince people it's worth them paying money on uh, and really just go down the route of doing really good research to get to the point where our capabilities were irresistible for people to spend money on. So that's the kind of direction I went. Um, and it, I decided to release the open source much in the, in the same reason because I, I could see the, the benefits of it and the, and the value, but I didn't want to focus all my efforts and time on making it so it could you know work on any operating system with guaranteed no... Um, flaws if you update windows or something because that's that needs a whole you know expertise in, in software engineering that i don't have so i made it very powerful and pragmatic as i say with the idea being then i can improve it for specific industries or specific users as as required and let other people also put their expertise and the you know the open source community is, is really very amazing at, at lots of things so uh, releasing it in that way meant I was hoping, and it seems to have been really successful with really attracting people that just wanted to make it much, much better going forwards. Um, and then it can have these uh, commercial aspects potentially in the in the future, um, which is yeah still not decided at all on that side of things. And what is one of those use cases where having this tool really makes a difference? Could you kind of articulate that? Yes. Yeah, so there's a. Um, uh, coming I'm just talking to now we're releasing a printer uh, I won't say the details and stuff because haven't, we haven't discussed uh, about sharing that uh, data but they're releasing a printer and we're going to use full control for them to give their clients to, uh, two extremes of, of capability one is really precise characterization of the process so with full control you can design really explicit controlled single lines of extrusion with parametric control over their spacing and their uh, positions uh, in, in the z direction and everything in their speeds all the details so we can have a kind of parametric test print which is kind of like what we do for our research when we're characterizing the process and characterizing mechanical properties but it's a really controlled one where there are no other factors accidentally brought in that might depend on the, the user's slicer version and things like this. So this can then be used for the, the company that are developing these printers to, to put their expertise into calibration files, which you often see are, are supplied with printers, but these would be uh, you know, adaptable and uh, far more uh, comprehensive than you usually see, to make sure their customers really optimize their printer right from the beginning. And then they'll also use it as a showcase because when you print with full control, you can control the printing ways to achieve structures that are just you know, impossible for a normal slicer. Um, and that's in terms of the sort of geometries that you're printing, but also in terms of the, the quality because there are no, you can design whole complicated print paths with zero travel and zero retraction, for example. It's just a continuous extrusion the whole, whole way, which you'd never believe from looking at the the design for example so this means they can show their customers the you know the the peak of what their system can do if they control it extremely well and they, they have this expertise of design and of the process that the, the company and, and kind of i am providing and also the really simple characterization stuff 
to make sure they're printing as, as well as they, they can. So this is two extreme kind of cases of, of where it's valuable, which is in an industrial setting. In terms of academia, it's kind of similar in many ways. I would design really complicated, intricate specimens that people couldn't do with slicing, putting in parametric capabilities, and then I can hand that over. And that's me putting my knowledge and expertise of the process into, into this adaptable design that then bioprinter users who are not uh, experts, 3D printers necessarily, if they've come from a, a background of biomedical um, characterization things, they can benefit from all those uh, capabilities that I've kind of put in there and those strengths of the, the design to get really good printing without having to spend days or, or months learning and optimizing the process. And you've talked about this kind of term parametric a few times. So maybe one that we can kind of dig into that. So, I mean, the way I kind of think about it right now, or like a simple way is that there are certain things that are like most mechanical things that you see around, like they're extrusions of metal and they're rectangular or they have circles in them. But like, if you look at nature, there's, a raspberry that has all these like different shapes <laughs> it's extremely hard to like how do you like pulling that in and printing it is actually not that trivial or anything in your body that has different curves and shapes and porosity and so kind of how do you think I mean, you're solving kind of this big problem here about kind of doing parametric operations but can you dig into that kind of explain for maybe someone in on the novice side that may not be familiar or with, with the technology. Yeah. With that. So and parametric designing in CAD was a huge step forwards from, from before parametric design was available where you can basically define some parameters, which might be some numbers for, for a box. So the width, the length and the height, and then you create your box according to these three parameters, which you can then just uh, change as you like, and the box will, will change its shape. So then you can put nice relative re relationships between things. So if you change the size of an overall part, maybe the hole is parametrically defined relative to one face of that box. And then this hole that you've designed will move with the face if you extend it. And this is a, you know, widely, it's a, it's a hugely beneficial aspect of, of CAD. In the, the current workflow, you take that parametric uh, CAD model and you'll be able to adjust it in CAD, create an STL file and then send that to a slicer and do the um, produce the, the layers and then the tool path reach layer and then build that together. And other additive manufacturing systems will have slightly different approaches, but in general, you do the CAD parametric design and then bring it through the workflow until you get your um, manufacturing control. What full control allows, you're designing all of the tool paths directly. So that parametric uh, control is put directly into the, um, the, the tool path in terms of its uh, information. So then if you adjust one parameter, you generate the tool path straight away. So you've, you don't have to go through this whole, whole workflow, which means you can parametrically edit this uh, file after it's been designed with these parametric, uh, without having to do any of these extra checks, which is obviously very efficient. Uh, but it's also for the calibration side of things. It means we could create a, a, a test specimen, which might be several lines printed with different spacings and different uh, widths or, or something, and then create repeats of this with parametrically varied properties. So then we can 
potentially in, in a few minutes print hundreds of different combinations of printing speed and temperature and uh, layer height and extrusion width or, or, or whatever parameters you might be using for uh, laser-based processes or something. Um, and it would be, you know, every line can be individually controlled, which just wouldn't, uh, there's no way to do that through the normal workflow. The, the way you would normally do that is to write a script which would generate this parametric um, tool pass, which is the kind of equivalent to full control if you're happy to do all the programming yourself. Yeah, and it's such a big issue too, the more people move added manufacturing into production ecosystems, like knowing about the nuances of the process. I mean, mm -hmm. other than, hey, like I can drag a file, I can press print. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that can, from print to print or from part to part, even on the same build, can make a big difference in terms of your parameters, your ultimate quality, and even safety. I mean, if you're talking medical or certainly um, aerospace automotive, like that understanding is is critical. Yeah, and the, the thing that CAD is sort of trying to push forward at the moment is putting more... Uh, pr process data into the CAD model. So you might be able to say uh, for different parts of your model, you know, it's, it's common that you say different tolerances and things, dimensional tolerances, but this might say then I'm going to use a different set of uh, parameters for printing this section of the model than this section. And you can put that, that data in and then going forwards, you have different materials in different sections of your of your model or different uh, graded densities and structures, which which go towards the kind of mathematical model design in which there are uh, software around for, for that, which eliminate uh, some of these issues. Um, but those, the, the big problem for, for me is, as I see it, until you've designed the tool path, you haven't got all that data about where the defects are going to happen and, and how those defects are going to happen. And, and also you can't optimize your design unless you're optimizing the toolpath if the defects are coming in from the, uh, the toolpath generation. So uh, for in terms of the, the way you design things, there are common design rules which are supposed to uh, make sure that what you're printing is kind of sensible and is, is well suited to the slicing software. And we're taking that to the kind of the next step where you're truly designing for the, the actual assembly of these individual building blocks, you know, a single extrusion. Uh, and that then lends to a completely new scales of, of design. So one thing we were recently publishing is how to, as you're printing a single line of, of polymer, you can vary its, its width on the fly. And that's just a, a really natural thing to do if you're designing an individual extrusion and you think I want it to be different. Uh, geometries at different positions along its length. Coming back to the tissue engineering scaffold, this means I could vary my pore size at different positions whilst still making sure my overall grid structure had the same uh, overall shape or, or, or sort of overall unit cells. Um, so then taking this, uh, this ability to then vary these extrusion widths and create different geometries is completely new. You can't do that with a normal workflow where you'd set a specific extrusion width for different parts of your, of your model because each continuous line of extrusion is seen as a single um, you know, printing condition. Whereas what we're, we're saying is that's what our 
basic building block is kind of material coming out of the nozzle. And now if I move my nozzle around in different ways, I can get that material to be deposit in different shapes and different sizes. Uh, and there's no longer this kind of idea of a single extrusion having a single width and height, and then you stack several extrusions next to each other to fill a gap. It, it can completely break away from, from that kind of uh, way of thinking, which you can, that is dependent entirely on the toolpath. There's nothing in the CAD model that would link to that. You are truly designing the actual movement of the nozzle and its, and its speed. So the only way really to put that into CAD would be if you were designing every single extrusion, which would just be Im impractical. And that's kind of just unnecessary. That's what I'm doing, but uh, you wouldn't need a CAD model for it because you're, you're, you've already got the toolpath. It's just a, a curve for the uh, nozzle to follow. And I suppose too, like this software, really allows your students to get a deep, deep understanding of all the process parameters that go into any uh, of these extrusion technologies and able to change them and see it. I, I feel like that's a really powerful teaching tool. Like a, a lot of the, I mean, most universities now have some sort of 3D printing uh, mm -hmm. experience in, in the academic coursework especially mechanical maybe it's just doing some prototyping or things like that but as I see from graduates that come out I mean they know how to maybe operate at a basic level a printer or say like hey we should get this 3d printed to prototype but like that really deep understanding of hey like this is a pretty nuanced technology like decisions we make early on make a difference like, like yeah. having that software like right in their face like just highlight <laughs> This is something I, I really am tempted to and want to do is to really flip the way additive manufacturing is thought about right from the very first time you, you learn it. So at the moment we go through the process of, uh, we have a CAD model and then you break that down through the steps of STL file, so forth, to printing parameters, set up your printer and print it. Uh, and I just think it would be beautiful to swap it. So people first think here's a nozzle extruding material and this is what happens if you move it at different speeds and different positions and you get this blob and then you get a line and then you can get some strings and do all these different sort of uh, geometries that are possible and then think, right, okay, so we, these, these lines of extrusion material are quite a good building block to go up and then build up to a ducting type uh, product where it's thin, thin walls or single filament um, wide. So that makes logical sense from single extrusion, you pack them together to get this stuck and then move up through to something more like an engineering topologically optimized bracket or something where it's now really a complicated mixture of all different geometries everywhere. Uh, but still, it's got to be made out of single individual uh, extrusions lined up next to one another. Uh, and I think it would be, it, I haven't done it because it's just so far away from what industry is doing at the moment that it wouldn't really be a, a fair thing on my students to say, uh, you know, this, that I am, <laughs> I think this is the best way, so you should all do it, do it too. But the, the exception is for my project students who I, because I'm talking about the additive manufacturing modules I teach on, this is for everybody. So they, they really need to understand additive manufacturing from the way most people use it. Whereas what I'm doing is, is very unusual. But for my group of single, uh, so individual projects students, they know what they're getting into because they're choosing the project. I've told them this is going to be, you know, doing something weird. But these students are, are doing things that no one else in, in the world is doing at all. It's really, you know, truly, uh, 
beyond anything some people are doing in industry or, or research anywhere for their specific things. So last year there was someone printing stents with vertical extrusion of, of pillars of material, which uh, are just then the nozzle moves from the top of one to start printing the next. And it's just these 3D structures printed, which are impossible to do with slicing. There, there is no one doing this types of, of stents like this, this guy has shown. Um, and he understood the process perfectly for that um, for that type of work. And that, that was following on from a, a previous student where she developed this as a, from the ground up, starting with a, a box and then making it porous with very small extrusions. And then she turned that into these much more uh, 3D stents with sort of, these are for heart, heart valve um, or for blood vessel stents with uh, basically these kind of look like scaffolding around a, a building, if you imagine that with vertical uh, pillars that are exactly the same as the horizontal ones. Um, and it's just a really natural process. So the, the person doing them uh, for this project, he was able to really understand when you tell the nozzle to extrude material, how long it takes for it to actually extrude material and how, that, how fast that material comes out over time. So he was, as he was extruding these vertical pillars of, of polymer, he was changing the speed of the nozzle continuously to make sure the strut was a constant diameter all the way up. Um, so there was no such thing as a, a, a printing speed parameter. It, it was a constantly adjusted design variable for each individual uh, building block. So really they, they're getting an understanding of the process that really would only exist for people that are developing the hardware um, and and still not not for a lot of these aspects and it, it's been a while since i've been been on campus but Loughborough in my mind even it's gotten i know over a decade ago has had a very strong <laughs> additive manufacturing presence so i mean which is still i think fairly unique in in the world like what's what sorts of opportunities are available within kind of the atom manufacturing kind of world that at Loughborough, can you just speak more broadly about kind of the community there that's the research? Yeah. So there's the, the, the strongest research is really going across multiple schools. So we've got, we've been building up ceramic research and electronics printing research, for example, which is then linking with the uh, material school for making sure that the properties of those sintered parts as they're being say sintered, in, on the fly as you're being you know, manufactured layer by layer are, are perfect. And then linking with the design school who, who have a great reputation for additive manufacturing as well for then putting these, uh, you know, these, design, these solutions that are solved by additive manufacturing into, into neat packages so they can be uh, adapted to an individual patient, for example, because often a lot of um, medical aspects to this. Uh, and then I'd say the in my specific group i'm actually also in the mechanics and materials group where we do quite a bit uh, but it's it's fundamental characterization of the process and i'd say that is a, a real strength where it's it's using the the best kind of mechanics of materials research to understand this process at that at that scale um which is not the most necessarily uh what's the word <laughs> um it's not attractive, uh, but very appealing way of, of doing it because it's not, you know, doing something weird 
wacky new material which which we've done as well you know we've printed like moon dust and things like this but it's really just logical sensible research which is it's where my passion truly is is simplifying out all of the all of the noise and the parameters that are not actually having a huge impact but may appear to do so because they're indirectly affecting other things that are going on um, and just doing really excellent mechanics of materials research and, and that sort of thing to understand the process and really push forwards to get for these true manufacturing so we're not really uh, focusing on prototyping at this stage it's for manufacturing end use parts with you know as good a quality or as, as good a design um 3d geometries as you can possibly get and for students you have you mentioned you teach some courses specifically at Adlib, mm-hmm. right i think that's pretty unique in terms of just having a specific course dedicated to that yeah we definitely uh, so i'm we have a couple of modules that do it and one of them is specifically on on additive manufacturing which is which is my module i lead uh, and actually i think one of the great things for for students is the the access to printers so this last year has been a little different with covid obviously but before it was just there was a, a room of sort of 30 printers that the students could just come in and use as long as they've been trained once um and that was that was free to them to use if they're using a huge amount of material you know that that would need to be discussed and make sure they've got their own stuff but otherwise they could just come in and play around and see what they were doing you know really look at the print make sure it's it's working fail entirely you know make it really mess up break the printers and all this kind of stuff but then they get they get repaired and they get help on on fixing them so this real kind of independent use of the printers was a a real um benefit of the of that Loughborough's kind of undergraduate stuff. So all the the stuff I'm talking about with my uh, full control geco designer is really putting research into teaching. Uh, but for most of the students, I think that access to the uh, to the facilities to do their own hands on on teaching and you know being allowed to to literally damage these machines not by not through stupid stuff, but through you know actually trying to do something good it's fine because you know i damage machines when i'm trying to do them and it's just part of the part of the process so that access and that kind of and i felt it when i first joined up kind of part of the team where you're not calling any of the lecturers sir or anything it's all just first name basis the technicians uh, just really helpful around there and just sort of passionate about the, the process as well uh, that's really the the strength so i, I could definitely uh, talk about my students doing excellent research and, and publications and stuff that have come out of that but this is for a few uh, students who have done a very bespoke bit of additive manufacturing for the, for the broader range it's this uh, you know, team atmosphere that's really a, a selling point of, of Loughborough without a doubt. And what are you seeing in terms of as your students graduate or even kind of just generally like you're you're tied in this industry like what's the What's the ecosystem around additive manufacturing like in in the UK these days? I mean, there's there's certainly uh, we, I see LinkedIn posts and things about a lot of cool activities going on, but like kind of what's mm-hmm. what's your take on it? Yeah, so again, this is one where I'm uh, a lot of my students will be going down the more traditional additive manufacturing route, which is fully expected because full control is so new. But there are actually a couple um, using it in industry at the moment, but it's, it's actually been quite a range of, of students that I can think of going into additive manufacturing industries. Um, so there's 
there's one that's a, a research institution halfway between research and industry where uh, one a couple of my students have, have gone and one of them is specifically working on additive manufacturing um, and sort of developing new materials and things or qualifying new materials or, or whatnot another one has gone to a, a similar kind of institution for linked with other more closely with the uh, Sheffield University and again they're doing additive manufacturing with the I guess probably from the skill set they got as as students of, of the process in terms of really technically understanding it they've both uh, got jobs where they are technically you know managing uh, additive manufacturing processes di directly um, and there's another one working for a medical or two working for three working for medical manufacturers uh, directly who have all been you know my, my specific individual project students so these are uh, people that are taking the kind of research I'm doing and then the, that's that seems to have a, a place in industry uh, although it's only just sort of taking off but then the, the students who are not doing my uh, specific kind of research uh, area. I can see them also using additive manufacturing a huge amount in, in industry. So somebody was uh, building a prototype for, uh, for for firearms, not for um, combat situations, but for uh, uh, you know show show pieces and for uh, equest uh, horse stuff, whatever that's called. <laughs> you know when you when you have very elaborate uh, guns and things, but they were using the additive manufacturing to get these. Uh, prototypes of them um, and other people other industries are using it to do you know fixtures and jigs and more more common stuff but it just seems in a, a really wide range of, uh, of things mostly on that more conventional route of prototyping and uh, fixturing and the sort of the parts where they're not being put in the final thing but then the other ones I'm talking about are really making end use parts parts to go inside human bodies and things like that and if people want to collaborate with you on full control or someone's in the U S or elsewhere in Europe, or even in the UK, like what's that process like? They can obviously go to the website, but like, are you looking for collaborators? Mm -hmm. Are there like opportunities where you see like, Hey, I'd love to work in this, this space or, or anything. Kind yeah. Of yes. So I'm, I'm being very uh, open to, to collaboration as much as possible. Now that's sort of part of my, uh, ambitions of releasing full control was to take it forwards through collaborative work uh, of benefiting full control but also to do research with people that would just use full control as it is uh, and both of these things are, are happening so for people that are just using the current version of full control often i'll you know collaborate just by talking them through the way if they've got ideas for designs but it's quite hard to learn and use full control but if it's going to end up with really good research, which is which is good for my kind of uh, career uh, and my job role, then putting that effort into help to develop those designs and do you know really good 3D printing that they couldn't do without it, particularly for interesting materials is very exciting for me at the moment. So people are doing you know, ceramics, glasses, metals, all this kind of stuff with extrusion uh, is really something I'm keen to do because I've focused my stuff on the medical polymers, which are very easy to print typically. And now taking my understanding from them to these more uh, functional and high-end materials is, is really valuable. So that's that's one way. If, if people just get in touch with me, you know, I'll, I'll either say, yeah, let's have a, 
have a chat and get through it or I'll point them towards other people that are using full control or there's like a Reddit um, page where people can ask questions and, and that kind of thing. And then the other side is developing uh, full control for the next versions, which might do, you know, very, very different uh, things to what it's currently doing. So there, you know, typically I've been talking mostly to people that can uh, program and code much more than I can, because this is when you first open full control, this is, this is the thing where it's really obvious the, the way to, um, to improve it. So that's going very well at the moment with them. But as we go forwards, it's going to be this range of people with different skill sets who, who would be valuable, you know, just the whole package of people that are going to be needed from whether it's going to marketing at that stage, the website, uh, writing supporting documents, uh, troubleshooting, that kind of stuff is, is going to be very, very valuable. Um, but for the time being, I think the most sort of useful collaborators are people that really believe in uh, customized toolpaths are valuable for their situation because if I if I try to fudge full control to uh, some application where you could just do it with slicing it's not really of a, a value to to anyone just to, to show that um whereas if we end up doing something where they really can't do it with slicing then it's good because they're going to get something they can't previously do so they're going to want to continue and do more and it's a great showpiece for other people to see what this person or this company has done and then think, oh, we could do something similar, maybe a completely different application. Uh, but it's, yeah, where, where people are struggling with slices, not offering them the, the control to edit all the things they'd, they'd want to do, which I think is kind of something you just, you know, if you're, if you're doing, if you're printing uh, really complicated parts, then and it depends complicated is not the right word but parts where there is too much going on for you to even know what you what you would change that's not really going to be as suitable for full control but where it's you want to do something really explicitly and it's it's challenging to get it to do that you know the slicing keeps moving the nozzle in all different positions and you tried lots of different ways to try and get it to do a continuous neat toolpath and it's just not doing what you want that's the the type of uh, work where uh, full control and explicit uh, print path design would be um, really valuable. Uh, and the other one is just very technical calibration, characterization of the process and things like that. Awesome. And we'll put all the, the links to, to your you know, webpage, full controls websites when we, when we post it. So um, well, thank you. Go, go check it out. And, so I want to thank you so much for, for joining the show today. This is a great conversation. Love to continue to, to keep in touch and see how, how this continues to grow and the user community of, of full control kind of ranges out into to the mm -hmm. world and see all the cool applications that, that can be, be leveraged with this. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And I hope in a year we might have another one and it will be a completely different type of uh, thing with it. Uh, incomparable capabilities is what it is now and then maybe three years will be again something completely completely different so that i am uh, definitely taking this uh, forwards in in various ways particularly for multi-axis uh, and multi-process hybrid manufacturing is where i'm personally driving it forwards now for uh, for because it's my personal research needs this and i can see this being really valuable for typically more on the manufacturing final use parts rather than uh, prototyping parts. So the, the need to control more 
have more control when you're doing more more access is, is clearly there so i think that's a uh, a really valuable route which i'll be i'll be pushing forwards with it fantastic well we'll we'll keep an eye on it and uh we'll love to to continue to hear the the story as it grows great thank you very much all right thanks